You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBattleLeroy.com. Again, and invite you to turn in the scriptures to the book of First Corinthians. We're going to read from here a bit today, and then we'll be in some other places as well. But at least we can start here in First Corinthians chapter twelve. I'm going to read verses twelve through twenty-seven. So, First Corinthians chapter twelve. While you're getting there, we'll show our picture from last week. Malachi is not here, but this is what he drew. Uh, we're celebrating the Reformation last week, 500 years. And he's got Martin Luther, he's got the 95, uh, I like that, inter- it's complaints, yeah, theses, yeah, we call them old word theses, uh, complaints, that's right, and, and the hammer there. So um, maybe Malachi will listen to this, thank you for that, so thank you guys. Let's look in the Word of God and read that first as we look in First Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. And then just reading through verse 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would, make, uh, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Let's pray. Lord, again, we come to you asking for your spirit to work amongst us. Lord, we worship you because you are worthy of our entire worship. As we're hearing about this morning, Lord, no other small G type gods are to occupy our worship and our praise. And so we pray even through this as we speak and think about membership in the body of Christ and the church. Again, Lord, continue to remind us through all this how much we need You 
And Lord, that we would bring you glory in the process that that our church displays your glory amongst one another and to this world. So guide our time together. Give us eyes, ears. Guide the the words that I will even speak, Lord, um, to be of you, to magnify you and your great work in Jesus Christ. So we lift this time up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to read a story to you. Kids, you'll enjoy this. Great story. Likes to read us. We like to hear stories read. So I'm going to read a story to you this morning. Here it goes. Nose and hand were sitting in the church pew talking. The morning service led by ear and mouth had just ended. And hand was telling nose that he and his family had decided to look for a different church. Really? Nose responded to Han's news. Why? Oh, I don't know, Han said, looking down. He was usually slower to speak than other members of the church body. I guess because the church doesn't have what Mrs. Hand and I are looking for. Well, what are you looking for in a church? Nose asked. The tone in which he spoke these words was sympathetic. But even as he was speaking them, he knew he would dismiss Han's answer. If the hands couldn't see that nose and the rest of the leadership were pointing the church body in the right direction, the body could do without them. Hand had to think before answering. He and Mrs. Hand liked Pastor Mouth and his family, and Minister of Music Ear meant well. Well, I guess we're looking for a place where people are more like us, Hand finally stammered. We tried spending time with the legs, but we didn't connect with them. Next, we joined the small group for all the toes, but they kept talking about socks and shoes and odors. Odors, I'm sorry. And that didn't interest us. Nose looked at him this time with genuine dismay. Aren't you glad they're concerned with odors? Oh, sure, sure. But it's not for us. Then we attended the Sunday school for all you facial features. Do you remember? We came for several Sundays a couple of months ago. Yeah, it was great to have you. Well, thank you. But... Everyone just wanted to talk and listen and smell and taste. It felt like, well, it felt like you never wanted to get to work and get your hands dirty. Anyway, Mrs. Hand and I were thinking about checking out that new church over on East Side. We hear they do a lot of clapping and hand raising, which is closer to what we need right now. Hmm, Nose replied. I see what you mean. We'd hate to see you go, but I guess you have to do what's good for you. At that moment, Mrs. Hand, who had been caught up in another conversation, turned back to join her husband and Nose. Hand briefly explained what he and Nose had been talking about, after which Nose repeated his sadness at the prospect of losing the hands. But he again said that he understood since it sounded like their needs weren't being met. Mrs. Hand nodded in agreement. She wanted to be polite, but truth be told, she wasn't sad to be leaving. Her husband had made just enough critical remarks about the church over the years that her heart had begun to reflect his. No, he had never burst into an open tirade against the body. In fact, he usually apologized for being so negative, as he put it. But the little complaints that he let slip out here and there had had an effect. The small groups were a little cliquish. The music was a little out of date. The programs did seem a little silly. The teaching wasn't entirely to their liking. In the end, it was hard for the two of them to put their fingers on it, but they finally decided that the church wasn't for them. 
In addition to all that, Mrs. Han knew that their daughter, Pinky, was not comfortable with the youth group. Everyone was so different from her. She felt out of joint. All right. Mrs. Han then said something about how much she appreciated Nose and the leadership. But the conversation had already run on too long for Nose. Besides, her perfume made him want to sneeze. He thanked Mrs. Hand for her encouragement, repeated that he was sorry to hear of her uh, their departure, then turned and walked away. Who needed the hands? Apparently, they didn't need him. Kind of a funny story, but maybe hits closer to us. Today, we really get to the heart of meaningful membership in the church. Kind of the question, what does it look like to be members one of another in Christ? Again, not a membership that says I'm on a list somewhere or a membership once received and then we kind of forget about it or that just has privileges for its members, but something, a membership that's meaningful. And what we're proposing here in this Constitution is meaningful membership based on really covenant to one another, a commitment to one another. Last week we left off and invite you, if you've got your proposed constitution with you, if you don't have one, I made another couple of copies this week. They're on the back table. You can get some as you uh, head out today. We left off on page number six. And we're kind of getting into this, this covenantal type language. And so we're in letter D, expectations of members. I'll just read that. To us, under D, expectation of members, each member of this church is expected to live in accordance with the covenant of Bethany Bible Church, which covenant he is committed to keep between God and his brothers. When a member consistently disregards his covenant vows, he will be exhorted by the elders and, if necessary, disciplined according to the nature of the offense. This is necessary to the maintaining of the integrity of the church and the significance and meaning of those vows which we have made before God and one another. The expectations can be found in the Bethany Bible Church covenant. Webster's Dictionary, 1828 version, defines covenant in the context of the church. So there's a couple definitions, but this is in the context of the church. This is what Webster was saying all the way back in 1828. In church affairs, covenant... So let me start over with his words in church affairs, a solemn agreement between the members of a church that they will walk together according to the precepts of the gospel in brotherly affection. You see, covenant church membership, it's part of making visible and meaningful really what we already are in Christ. And we can ask, well, am I a member of a fellow believer? We're talking about the persecuted church, those in Africa, those suffering in the Middle East or elsewhere. Are we members together? Y yes. What about even a gospel believing church, uh, say, in Iowa that believes the Bible? Are we members? Yes, we're members together in that universal sense of the body of Christ. And yet there's that sense in which we here at Bethany, the localized Body is the visible expression of the church. It's the local expression of the church, really universal. So membership here in Bethany is to be something more than just vague connections, but more intimate and close, accountable, 
even covenantal, as we're using that language. So look further down on, on the Constitution in Article 6 under Church Covenant. I'm going to read the first two paragraphs to us. Uh, you see the Scriptures in bold. You can look those up later on, but let me read uh, the text here to you. It says, God has graciously entered into a covenant relationship with His people through the blood of the new covenant in His Son. God has in Christ made us members of one another. Therefore, we have covenantal responsibilities to each other as well as to God. The atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who, by His death and resurrection, satisfied the righteous wrath of God that was toward us because of our sin, uh, I think the and might be extra there, it drives us to love and obey our Lord. Christ gave Himself for us that we might be a people who are zealous for good works. The ability to obey God is by God's promise to write His laws in our hearts and to cause us to walk in His ways through the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. You might think, why these paragraphs in a section concerning the covenant of one member to another? Why are, why are these here? Even the second paragraph I read from uh, it first seems out of place, atoning sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the ability to obey God, all these sorts of things. Is this how does that fit into covenant membership? I think I want us to think of it this way and why it's here. That membership amongst us, it's simply more than any covenant we might say to one another. Kind of, yeah, I agree. We'll, we'll join together. Our membership is absolutely grounded in Christ. That's why I think this is here. So that if we do not have Christ, we do not have membership. And so we're again laying that foundation. We don't want to get apart from that, that we're members just because we like each other or this is the building and it's out of the rain and this, it's warm. And I know there's bigger reason than that, but it's because we're, we're, we're connected to that, that cornerstone, Christ. Go with me to Hebrews, just to the right from 1 Corinthians. Uh, head through the Thessalonians, Timothy, to the book of Hebrews. Chapter 10. Uh, we'll, be in, we'll look at verse 15, but Hebrews 10. We'll get to 15. Just a little background as you're getting to Hebrews 10. That The writers of Hebrews here in this chapter 10, and again, Sunday school, uh, if you're not coming, please come. We're, there's more sessions going on. We've been in Hebrews 11 just before then here. The writers here, he's in a sense, he's, he's blowing away the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. And in its place saying, look at the reality. It's Messiah. It's Jesus. Who is the once for all offering in his body for sin. Verse 14, just above where we're going to read, it says it succinctly. It says, for by a single offering, he... Or Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Again, we're grounding our membership here in Christ so that here what Hebrews is saying, our judicial standing, we are declared righteous in Christ. And yet we are also being made holy. We're being sanctified. And this is by the, the Holy Spirit. And so we get to verse 15 says, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, and now there's some quoting here from, from Jeremiah, this is the covenant that I will make 
with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. God in Christ has covenanted with us so that we are in Christ. And we who are in Christ, we're forgiven. We're made to be a people of God through Christ. So listen to the encouragement then as I read on. Verses 19 through 23. God has made this covenant, this agreement with us. He secured it in the blood of Christ. Listen to what we have in verse 19. Those in Christ. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Our covenant-keeping God, He is a faithful God. He made a promise to forgive and to heal and to reconcile, and He's faithful to that promise. So who we are in covenant with one another needs to be grounded in the gospel, the new covenant of God with his people. And I think it's this identity in Christ that is going to affect our relationships one to another. This is some practical application. Again, Paul Tripp is good at pointing this out. But it means that I in Christ am not or should not be looking to others for my identity, but Christ. That's what grounded in Christ. My identity is not in who you say I am or who I say you are or one another, but it's grounded in Christ. No one in this room, we believe this, no one, no, not any of us, is meant to be the Savior for anyone else. We have only one Savior, one mediator, the Lord Jesus Christ. So those in the church then, in Christ, we've been, in a sense, freed up from an identity crisis. Who I... Does the church tell me who I am? Do I, am I a savior to somebody? No, we're, we're freed up from that because we look to and point to Christ. We don't look for others to determine who we are. So we're free to love unconditionally. I can love you not because of, because I need your love, though I desire it, but I can love you because I've been loved by Christ and I can, and same you with me and with one another. I can serve you. We can serve one another without saying, you've got to repay me for that. I'm counting. I remember this a couple months ago. I did that. That sort of thing. It's Christ has served us so we can serve freely to one another. So who you are in Christ affects how you will act as a member of the church. And then look at the back into Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews follows this great message, really, of the gospel with verse 24, with church language. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
in light of the glories of this faithful covenant-keeping God by whom we can draw near, then He has given us one another to encourage one another, stirring up one another to love and good works. So grounded in Christ, we love one another. Um, I posted this a couple weeks ago on our Facebook page, and I want to read it to you. It comes from A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God. And I thought this, this speaks of church unity and our oneness in Christ in a, in a very good way. He says this, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork, you know, tuning fork, a fill-in for non-piano people. That's a, you know, the tuning fork that makes it tune. Okay, so we got one. Think of a hundred of these tuned to one fork. They're all tuned to, to the same fork, and so automatically all are tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Social religion is perfected when private religion is purified. Here's what he ends with this sentence. The body becomes stronger as its members become healthier. We've said this last week, maybe other weeks, where we become healthy as each individual is strong in Christ. Your relationship with Christ affects not only yourself, but others. So identity in Christ matters. And then our relationship to Christ really affects the greater body. And it's to affect one another here. So we move on in your bulletin. If you're looking at points, the second point about our covenant to one another there. So grounded in Christ. And then you remember when I first spoke on membership and we used the acronym for me, it's helpful just to remember what membership is about. That acronym ROPE, R-O-P-E, that, that membership is, is um, helping with relationships, church order, with the O part of protection for the church and part of equipping the body and the saints. Well, we're looking just briefly as we're thinking about covenant membership, this relational aspect of that, of covenanting together, a formal commitment really that says to one another, dear brother or sister in Christ, I'm in this for the long haul. You might say something to me, I'm in this for the long haul. That type of commitment. And then listen to the various ways. We're not going to look all these up. You've, I'm not the first. And, and it kind of comes from that idea of these lists of the one another's in Scripture. Let me just share some of these about how we ought live amongst one another, this body of Christ. Some of these just come different places, um, but they really just build here. Uh, we're to be at peace with one another from Mark 9. We're to outdo one another in showing honor. We're to live in harmony with one another. We're not to cause another to stumble. Instructing, Romans 15 says, instructing, teaching, and admonishing one another. That might have been Colossians 3. It's one of those. All having the same care for one another. We're to comfort, agree, live in peace with one another. Do you hear the theme? We're to, uh, through love, we're to serve one another. We're to bear one another's burdens. We're to be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. 
Address one another in song. That's part of what we're doing this morning here. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5 talks about. We're to encourage, build up, exhort one another. Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Why? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We're to exhort one another. James 5, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Show hospitality to one another. Be humble towards one another. And I think there's more one another's in there. Go one last place here to John chapter 13. I want you to turn there. John 13, 34. I hear Jesus' words here. Again, in a, in a one another type phrase. When we act out in covenantal love towards one another, we display the type of covenantal love our Heavenly Father has displayed in the work of Jesus Christ to us. That work from His blood shed for sinners who had turned aside and have not followed Him. So truly, we can only covenantally love one another because He has loved us. Listen to what Jesus explains in John thirteen thirty four: A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How? What way? Just as, he says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. We display God's glory to the world and to each other by this love. We we display the love of Christ when we love one another. So in formal membership, covenantal membership, we really live out visibly the call to one another. And there's a question, does it, does it take a formal covenant to live these things out? Do we have to say a certain wording? No. We can do this even today. But we could also ask, if you look at it this way, in the context of a, of a wedding ceremony. You think of a wedding, why... Why all the ceremony when you can just right, get the marriage license from the courthouse, maybe find a judge and just get married? I think it's because we value, we value ceremony. We value formal, some sort of formal commitment, some sort of witnesses to the vows that are spoken. It's the verbal expression to one another that says, I'm in this husband or wife. I'm in this for the long haul till death do us part. Certainly, though, words are not all that are involved as we think about covenant membership. Our words must be followed by actions in our lives. We will need God's grace to live out being members one to another. But at the outset, we need to understand really the difference between words and actual covenantal type living, kind of that Uh, No matter what, I'm in this for the long haul. That type of language. I found one illustration that perhaps is the most helpful. The Reverend Peter Kemeny, he writes on the importance of church membership. And he says this in regards to church involvement and that of real commitment. Hopefully you can follow him here. Between church involvement and real commitment. He says this. Someone said that the difference between involvement and commitment 
is like the contribution that a chicken and a pig make to a ham and egg breakfast. The chicken is involved, but the pig is committed. He goes on to say, people who are merely involved do not build strong churches. People who make a blood earnest commitment to its people and mission build strong churches. We want to see that, not just by words, by actions, one another. So let's read on the next page. If you just turn over to page 7, just read what this covenant... I'm not really going to expand on, on any of these. You can, you can look up the Scriptures there, but I'm just going to read through it that we uh, have looked at what it is we're, we're seeking to pledge to, to commit to as members one uh, to another. So a top says, by the grace of God, we've been led to repent of our sin and believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. There's the baseline. There's the foundation. You can't do these without Christ. Therefore, by God's grace, one, we pledge to submit to the authority of Scripture as the final arbiter on all issues. Next, we pledge to walk together in Christian love and unity through the power of God's indwelling Holy Spirit. We need Him. Uh, The third one, we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but faithfully attend the church's gatherings for worship, prayer, study, and fellowship. We will use our spiritual gifts for the common good of Bethany Bible Church, serving regularly and sacrificially in the spirit and power of Christ. The next one, we pledge to submit to Bethany Bible Church's discipline toward ourselves. Part of welcoming discipline and lovingly take responsibility to participate in the discipline of other members as taught in Scripture. Again, the goal in discipline, restoration back towards Christ. The next one, we will contribute cheerfully and regularly to Bethany Bible Church for her general ministry needs and expenses. We will strive in the power of the Holy Spirit to live out a faithful Christian witness and fulfill our calling to be salt and light. We pledge through gospel proclamation to seek the salvation of our family, friends, neighbors, and the world. This is a membership that's not just here, not for us to have a happy uh, uh, you know, kumbaya moment around the campfire. It's to go out from here and to be equipped and to go out and proclaim. Uh, the next one there, we pledge to seek our own uh, spiritual growth through both public and private means, working out our salvation in fear and trembling. We pledge to take seriously the responsibility of Christian freedom, especially in actions or situations that could present a stumbling block to one another or to another. Then we pledge that if God leads us to leave Bethany Bible Church, we will diligently pray and seek another church where we can faithfully carry out God's purpose and call upon our lives. So that those in Christ, covenanting to one another, this is part of building, I think, a strong foundation in the church. As we looked at 1 Corinthians 12, talking about the members of the body and kind of the humorous and yet uh, more truth to it than we like type story, of each part of the body, the hands, nose, feet, toes. 
covenant church membership. It's our way of formally committing to the body. I want to close with one more uh, illustration and application. Again, reading from a fellow named Tim Chalice. He's Canadian. Uh, That's all right. That's all right. And uh, he has a blog that I follow sometimes. But he writes this, and I thought it's helpful as we... um, Apply this and think just very practically about the one another's and our membership, even putting this into practice today amongst us. He says this, uh, San Francisco's Millennium Tower, maybe you've heard of this place, is in trouble. The 58-story tower is home to some of the city's wealthiest people. Its apartments among the most expensive and desirable in the city. But recently, its residents have begun to notice some troubling issues. Engineers who studied the building have been alarmed to find it has sunk 16 inches in the seven years since it was built. Not only that, but it has developed a two-inch lean at the bottom, which translates to a six-inch lean at the top. Not surprisingly, the tower's residents are more than a little concerned. I just looked this up, I think, yesterday. It's still doing this. They haven't fixed it yet. The problems with Millennium Tower begin at the bottom all the way at the foundation. So here's a think of 58 story tower. The problems are all the way at the foundation. The first warning of the tower's problems came when residents noticed floor to ceiling cracks running along the walls of the underground parking garage. These were new. These were alarming. Engineers installed stress gauges in some of the cracks and found they are slowly growing. They expect the tower will settle before it leans far enough to pose any great danger, but they can't guarantee it. The tower isn't necessarily doomed, but it is in considerable trouble. Lately, I've found myself pondering unity in the local church and considering that cracks in the unity of a church often begin at the bottom. They often begin at the foundation and work their way up to the roof. What I mean is that disunity often begins with the membership and spreads toward the leadership rather than beginning with the leadership and spreading toward the membership. This is not always the case, of course, but often it is. Great ruptures in the church often begin with just one member gossiping about another or just two quarreling members who have no desire to pursue reconciliation. Great division often begins with a clique that refuses to integrate with the rest of the congregation or with a small group of people who make a disputable matter into a matter of spiritual life and death. Sometimes it's one person who asks questions meant to cause others to doubt the good intentions of the pastors. The greatest rifts can have their genesis in even the most innocuous words or actions. The issues with Millennium Tower begin at the foundation but spread all the way to the roof. The issues in a local church often begin with the membership, even with members who are rarely present or barely contributing and soon consume the entire congregation. And then he gives two crucial implications here. He says there is a crucial implication here. You may not feel like you have an important role in your church. You may feel like you are of no account, but you have the power, the ability to bring disunity to your church. You have the ability to undermine its health and stability, to set in motion a series of events that might eventually destroy it. 
The little cracks that begin in the foundation can migrate upwards, widening all the while. Then he says this, but if that is true, so is the opposite. You have the ability to promote and maintain unity in your church. And your task as a member of a church is not only to avoid disunity, but to actively pursue unity. You're to pursue unity by submitting to the duly appointed leaders of the congregation and by engaging in loving relationships with your fellow church members. Most of all, you pursue unity by walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. If disunity begins at the bottom and works its way to the top, so does so too does unity. A strong foundation stabilizes and supports the entire structure. What are you doing to actively pursue unity within your church? Pretty helpful illustration of that millennium tower and the foundational issues. And I hope the sobering and accountableness Don't hear me just saying, it's on you, watch out. It's on me, it's on each one of us. And for me, it's on. I need to be looking at my own spiritual life. Where am I at in Christ? Am I first growing in my relationship with Christ in order to serve you? And for you each to say, where am I at with Christ? Am I growing in Him? Do Do I know Him? And if so, am I growing? Am I healthy in Christ? And you will be part of a healthy body together in Christ. I didn't read that last paragraph of that covenant, but it's perhaps the most helpful. Lest we come away from making a covenant with one another and think, oh, we'll just do this pretty easy like. It says, ever conscious of our weakness and sinful nature, we joyfully depend on God, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, the things, the one another's that Your Word calls us to are, again, things without Christ, without Your Spirit. We are so weak and so prone to go other ways and follow our own sinful desires. So Lord, guide us as a church body. Lord, I pray for each one of us where it can be so easy to point to someone else and say, yep, that's yeah, I see foundation cracking. Oh, Father, take logs out of our eyes that we would see our own cracks and our own need for Christ to grow in you and so then become one another to others unified in our great Savior, our great God, Jesus Christ. Help us in these things, Lord. In Jesus' name.